Man, this, this series, at least for me, has been so life-changing. It's been so formative. And uh, we're going to be talking on the last blessing this morning. But when we read the Beatitudes and we look through what Jesus is teaching, we see that he demonstrates what it looks like to counter the empty pursuits our culture values so dearly. <laughs> He's like, you have this definition of success. You have this this definition of wealth, but in my kingdom, it looks so different. And if you've been here, at least for a couple of Sundays, you'll start to see that what Jesus says is actually very different than the American Jesus we've made. <laughs> so different. And it, it, it's just so powerful because in this, this sermon series, in a sense of Jesus, he's inviting us to embody his life. When he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, when he says, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are, are the humble, he's saying, these are the value systems of my kingdom because this is the value system of my life. And when we start to embody these blessings and live out what Jesus says is blessed, we also live out what pleases God. Anyone want to please God? Like when we embody, man, being humble, in a situation where everything in you can do the opposite or thinks that you should do the opposite, when we respond in humility, we're actually pleasing God because we're embodying his nature. That's powerful. So we are closing on the last blessing in Matthew 5, 10 to 12. You guys want to go there? Matthew 5, 10 to 12 says this, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all things of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Sheesh. This one has been probably one of the most convicting, probably the hardest, one of the eight to preach. It's pretty easy to preach on humility, you know? Pretty easy to preach on being poor in spirit. But this is, this is the last blessing that Jesus frames. And it's so interesting because it makes no sense whatsoever. It's like blessed are the humble, Blessed are the meek, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then he ends by saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. And as we know, we obviously live in a country where we aren't getting beheaded or imprisoned for our faith. So what does this mean for us as Christians living in America. What does this mean? What does it mean to embody this? What, what is Jesus actually saying when he says, blessed are the persecuted, those who are being persecuted for righteousness? And I believe that this last beatitude is a culmination of the other seven. It's, it's the finale of the other seven. As you embody the other seven in your life, this is the culmination. And he says, now that you've embodied all these seven, blessed are the persecuted. What I believe this means for us today is that being persecuted for righteousness is an invitation to break out of comfort Christianity. That's it. 
What does it mean to be persecuted for righteousness? It means that you're living in such a way that the comfort of this world can't touch you. <laughs> you're living in such a way where the world sees you and they're offended. Not because you're doing bad things, but because of Christ in you. Jesus says that people will reject you for following me, but know that they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me in you. That this blessing, guys, this is an invitation. This, this message today, I just want to give you a preface. This isn't going to be like a rich, theological, dense sermon. This is like, has anyone been to church camp? This is like cry week. You know what I'm saying? It's like the last week of camp and everyone's just getting wrecked. That's what we're going for, right? I'm not going to like give you like the Greek. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not going to give you the Greek or the Hebrew. We're just going to go in, go after what Jesus is going after, and we're just going to press into that. But this last beatitude is the culmination of the other seven. And I love that Jesus is always so specific. He doesn't just say, blessed are the poor. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He doesn't just say, blessed are the hungry, but blessed are the hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And so in the same way here, he's not just saying, blessed are people who just get killed. For Jesus. He doesn't say just blessed are those you know who pray to prayer in Sunday school and they end up dying. <laughs> He's saying, no, 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 blessed are those who are being persecuted for living and being hungry after righteousness. And if you're here for a couple of Sundays ago, we broke down righteousness, but righteousness has three specific meanings throughout scripture. Three specific meanings. The first one is to be in right standing with God. Okay, so when we see in scripture to be righteous or to, to live righteously, it's, it's saying that you are living in right standing with God. That Jesus is saying that there, there is going to be a day that you are going to be persecuted because you are living in right standing with God and you are inviting other people to live in right standing with God. The second is to live according to what God says is right and true. I've, I've quoted this verse in Proverbs almost every Sunday. That there is a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. That there is a, a way that we live in a society, we live in a culture where truth is, is just muddy, right? There's no such thing as absolute truth anymore. Let's create your own truth. Build your own truth, right? It's like build a bear, but truth. Choose whatever you want, put some stuffing in it, and it's true. But Jesus is saying, no, that my truth will actually cause you to be persecuted. That's how radical my truth is. This isn't comfortable. Truth isn't comfortable. <laughs> but truth will set you free. The third thing that righteousness means in Scripture is to see that which is wrong be made right. This is why you see righteousness in exchange with justice. That Jesus says, when you live in such a way to see redemption and to see revival and to see restoration in your homes and your neighborhoods and in the government and in politics, when you live in such a way to see that which is wrong be made right, you will be persecuted. The word to persecute means to cause to suffer, whether physically or emotionally. You guys okay? R.C. Sproul, he says this quote. 
says, but perhaps the biggest reason for the absence of greater persecution in our day is that we have learned how to avoid it. We've learned how to avoid it. (laughs) He keeps on, he says. We have become masters of conflict, of avoiding conflict regarding the gospel. And it's to water it down in order to make it more palatable for people. Guys, Jesus is calling us to something so different. And this series has been amazing, right? It's been so formative. It's like peacemaking and like humility. Like Jesus wants us to embody his life. But at the end, he sends us out and he says, now live like me. (laughs) The whole point of being formed into his image, being discipled by Jesus and, and, and seeing sanctification is so that we live like him. Guys, Jesus was so radical. He offended everybody. We think Jesus wasn't offensive. I don't know, I don't know where we got that. He's so offensive. He offended all the religious leaders. <laughs> he offended sinners. Because he, he had one specific mission, and it was the kingdom. It was the way of this kingdom. Why? Because this kingdom is the only way that leads to life. Keep going. John 15, 20. This is Jesus. He says this. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. Such a great promise. (laughs) Like, thank you, Jesus. You promised me peace. Promise me good life. He's like, no, I promise you persecution. And I want you to stay with me because this is like, I know this is different. We live in America. We don't face this. This isn't isn't normal for us as Americans. We're not used to this. But I want this to, to pierce your heart because your level of obedience shouldn't change by your location. If you were living in North Korea, your level of obedience shouldn't be any different just because you live in America. Jesus says, since they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Who wants to live like Jesus? There you go. Guys, this isn't a trendy thing to say. Following Jesus isn't a trendy thing to say because it will actually cost you everything. If you actually want to follow Jesus, if you actually want to be a disciple, we, we talked about what it actually means to be a disciple. Jesus had thousands of followers, but only 12 people were called disciples. Thousands of people followed Jesus. Thousands of people wanted to receive a miracle and wanted an encounter and wanted to see loaves multiplied, but only 12 and even specifically only three were actually close enough. (laughs) And only one went to the cross besides the woman. And so this call to be a Christian, guys, it will cost you everything. And we have to have that mindset no matter where you live. No matter how comfortable society has become. Because as we advance the kingdom, it will always come with opposition. The more the kingdom expands, the more opposition is going to try and stop it. Right? We as a church, we've moved, I don't know, this is like our seventh building. 
in like six years. And half of the transitions were, you know, opposition. Half of it was just like we couldn't pay rent. But as you advance the kingdom, guys, there's always going to be opposition. Leonard Ravenhill, he is crazy evangelist, revivalist. He says this quote. He says, is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Some of y'all didn't hear that. Is what you're living for, is the life that you're living, is it worth the price that he paid? And this isn't to bring shame or guilt or to hurt you, but this is to challenge you to daily pick up your cross, to carry the thing that reminds you of the price that he paid, to carry and live in such a way that says, Jesus, I see the price that you paid. I'm not going to waste it. This isn't religion. This isn't performance Christianity. This is saying, Jesus, I see what you've done. I see the price that you paid for me, and I'm not going to waste it. I'm not going to just choose to settle for retirement fund and a nice house and live really comfortable, but I waste everything that you did for me. You guys may have heard this quote, that comfort is a slow death. <laughs> that we are not called to comfort apart from the Holy Spirit. Let that sink in. We are not called to a comfort that is apart from the Holy Spirit because he is the comforter. And how many times do we try to comfort ourselves outside of the Holy Spirit? How many times do we try to self-medicate ourselves apart from the Holy Spirit? And yes, praise God, we have medicine and the Lord has blessed us with that. But there's an internal heart posture where our dependency okay, where we become dependent emotionally and spiritually for comfort apart from the Holy Spirit. Married people, your spouse cannot be your source of comfort. Your bank account cannot be your source of comfort. Your purpose cannot be your sense of comfort. that we are not called to comfort, we're called to obedience. This is what Jesus is saying, blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the ones that have lived outside of the bubble of comfort, that are living in such a way that says, Jesus, I'm willing to waste it all no matter the cost. I'm gonna give you guys some statistics on Christian persecution around the world. <laughs> This is statistics from Open Door. This is just from this past year, okay? So we haven't even finished 2022 yet. This is stats just from what has happened in 2022. 312 million Christians in the world experience high levels of persecution and discrimination for the choice to follow Jesus. 112 million. This is just 2022 so far. One in seven Christians worldwide experience high levels of persecution. That's a big statistic. 
That isn't like one in a thousand. One in, a, in seven Christians worldwide experienced high levels of persecution. Almost 6,000 Christians were killed for their faith just this year. Over 5,000 churches and other Christian buildings have been attacked just this year. Almost 5,000 believers were detained without trial, arrested, and were sentenced or imprisoned just this year. Almost 4,000 Christians were abducted for faith-related reasons just this year. This isn't to put fear. This is to stir you guys. The moment that we allow comfortable Christianity to be the way that we live is the moment we stop building the kingdom. It's the moment we stop living fully for Jesus. Second Timothy 3.12 says this, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will what? Suffer persecution. It's a very comforting verse, right? Everyone who wants to live a godly life, everyone who wants to hunger and thirst after righteousness, everyone who says that God's truth is absolute over my truth, everyone that seeks to make what is wrong right through the Spirit will suffer persecution. And the reality in America it may not look like what is happening in Afghanistan or Somalia, but we have to carry the same posture because your location should not change your obedience. It cannot. I think how often do we call something radical what the Bible actually calls normal? Like, man, that person is so radical. So anointed. It's just biblical. <laughs> it's just normal Christianity. Do you know in the book of Acts, can I tell you what was normal in the book of Acts? Miracles, healing, angelic encounters, regular fasting, believers praying for the lives, and persecution. That's what was normal in the book of Acts. How far have we come? <laughs> as the church in America from that place. I think what's so interesting, you can read this in scripture, that the missions movement was birthed out of persecution. The global church was created because of persecution. You can see the moment that Stephen was stoned, he was the first martyr. When he was stoned, people started to flee. But as they fled, they spread to different countries and they brought the gospel with them. And that's what we see as the modern day mission movement has led because of that moment. The Lord told me this. He said that the church is growing the most where there is the most persecution. But the church is dying the most where there's the most comfort. I'm read that again. You guys didn't get that. The church today is growing the most where there is the most persecution. That the underground church, I believe, in the Middle East is, is the fastest growing church. And the Middle East is, is one of the most dangerous places to be Christian today. 
What's even crazier, let this mess up your theology, most of the underground churches are led by women. <laughs> because all the men are getting killed. And the women are taking the charge of the gospel to further the church. And it's the fastest growing church in the world. But where there is the most comfort, it's easy <laughs> to just live out our truth. It's easy to live out what we want to be right because we're addicted to comfort. We're addicted to safety. Heard this quote and said, don't let go in freedom what others hold on to in persecution. Don't <laughs> let go in freedom what others hold on to in persecution. And I want to read to you guys two stories that I read of people who lived in persecution. That people who lived in persecution. The first is a story of a guy named Billy from Somalia. And Somalia is, I believe, it's the, the third worst country to be Christian, the third most dangerous place to be Christian in the entire world. And Somalia, just as a whole, might be the most dangerous place in the world because of all of the violence and tyranny. But Billy was born in a religious family in Mogadishu. His father was a tribal and religious leader who had memorized the entire Quran. This is how, how extreme, okay, he grew up. But out of curiosity, Billy started studying an English Bible alongside the Quran. And after three years of study, he converted to Christianity. Billy's family threatened him when he confessed to be a follower of Jesus. Six years after his conversion, Billy met his first Christian Somali. Six years. Imagine you're living in a nation. You just newly became a Christian. For six years, you're all alone. You have no one to talk to about Jesus. Six years, he finally met a Christian in Somalia. What ended up happening was together, him and this guy started an underground church. They gathered 14 believers, started an underground church. And a year later, Muslims discovered the growing Christian community and persecution began to start. One of their church members who is now a famed Somali martyr, was the first to be murdered. Then a doctor who attended the church was shot to death. An educator was kidnapped and executed. A Christian man and his Muslim wife were executed together in their bedroom. Another church member was taken off a bus and executed in broad daylight. Twelve in all were murdered. None of the murderers were ever prosecuted. Today, just two members have survived out of the original church of 14, Billy and one other. Billy escaped many attempts on his life before moving to another country. From that base, he travels in and out of Somalia, planting and nurturing underground house churches. No longer are there only 14 Christians in Mogadishu. The church is quietly growing, partly because of the testimony of the 12 who had died. Guys, don't let go in freedom 
what others hold on to in persecution. I don't challenge the way you see church. <laughs> you know how many people I know won't come to church because it's raining outside? It's real. Known people. Won't come to church because they're tired. They don't want to wake up at 10 o'clock to come to church. Guys, this will change. And, and I know this is intense. I'm not usually this intense if you're new here. More, more mellow. But I'm fired up on this, guys. Because we need to see this. This changes the way we see community. It took Billy six years to finally have community. And 12 of them were killed. You know what he did? He didn't walk away. He didn't compromise. He didn't, you know, I'm just going to convert back to Islam. No, he kept creating more churches. Can I read you guys another story? No, you guys don't want to hear it. You're like, ah, no, this is intense. This is another story from Kim Yoon Jin in North Korea. North Korea is the second worst, most dangerous place to be a Christian. That North Korea is the second most persecuted country in the world. Only 2% of the population of Christians. 2%. Kim Yoon-jin was one of them. And it's very rare, but she actually was born into a Christian family. In school, Kim was taught that there is no God. Like that's literally everyone is taught there's no God. And that people should worship the country's leaders. But growing up, her family gathered in the back of their tiny apartment and whispered their worship and Bible studies. Kim's grandmother had converted before World War II and kept a Chinese Bible. Listen, this is crazy. It was their most prized possession. Kim's mother translated this Chinese Bible by hand into Korean. You couldn't access Bibles. They literally smuggled it from the Korean War. Hand translated the entire thing to Korean. Those precious pages held the family together. Kim's father always reminded the family that they would pay a price one day for their belief in Jesus. He would say this, even if I face death, I will follow Jesus. Each morning, he would hug Kim and remind her to be careful that day. Every day, again and again, he gave her that hug and that warning. This is how she lived. Eventually, one day when Kim was in school, her father was discovered, and the police arrested him, and she never saw her father again and is certain that he's dead. Kim, her mother, grandmother, and siblings all eventually escaped North Korea. She said, I grew up in a land where they said there was no God but my father told me otherwise. He loved Jesus, and for that, he died. Her dream is to return to North Korea to share the love of Jesus. She said, we are getting ready for the day when the doors are open. <sighs> so that sink in. Some of us won't even raise our hands in church. So we're too afraid of what people are going to think. I'm being too hard? Okay. Chris said I'm not, so I'll keep going. Guys, don't let go in freedom what other people hold on to in persecution. I was talking to my wife about this, that 
Literally, people in the underground church, they, they can't sing loud because they don't want to be found out. Because if they're found out, they'll be killed. And so they're literally whispering worship. They're just on their faces, just weeping and worshiping. And we're here with speakers and a full band and, you know, lyrics. Man, some of us hate when there's no lyrics. We're like, dang, I don't want to sing this. That we need to, to see the reality, the cost of following Jesus. That the way of the kingdom is radical. It isn't just a brisk jog in the park. How many of us are afraid to speak truth because we don't want to offend someone? When Jesus says, if you follow me, you'll be rejected and persecuted. That's what he says, Matthew 5. Right? Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because of him. <laughs> can, I, can I be real for a second? I'm asking permission. So you guys said yes. It's on you. You know, when Roe versus Way was overturned, <laughs> man, I was like shy to post it. I was like, I don't want people to like think I'm like a bigoted Christian. And there's something in me that just stirs like, no, like <laughs> this doesn't fix everything. Okay, we know that. But sin is sin. <laughs> and this is something that we say, life, God defines life. And I think it's so easy in our day, in our age, to be compromised. Like, I don't want to post that. I don't want to celebrate what God is doing because I don't want to offend people. Guys, we got to wake up. I think for a lot of us that we've made... We joke about this, right? White Jesus. You guys, we joke about this. All the paintings... The Renaissance era, because it was in Europe, they just, everyone just painted Jesus as white because that was, you know, the way they related. So now we grew up with this idea that, you know, Jesus is just this white guy or whatever. And it's a joke, but at the same time, I think it's so real because so many of us have this image and this idea of Jesus that it's American. <laughs> and I used to always think about this thing. If Jesus just walked into the room, obviously we know he's going to appear in clouds and on a horse and sword in his tongue, all the crazy stuff. But if Jesus just appeared, he walked into La Vida, right? He walked into church just wearing blue jeans and a hoodie. Would we actually recognize him? Would we actually know that it's him because we've spent so much time with him that we know what his voice is like? That we've sat in his presence, that we know what it looks like and feels like to be around him. That we have such a clear understanding of Jesus because of scripture that we would know what he's like. Would you recognize him if he walked in the room today based on your understanding and your view of Jesus based on scripture? If not, you're too comfortable. If not, I'm too comfortable. David Platt, he says, 
we desperately need to explore how much of our understanding of the gospel is American and how much is actually biblical. Luke 9, 57-62 says this. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to even lay his head. Jesus will follow you as long as it leads us to the beach of California, to Hawaii, Lord, I'll follow you to Hawaii, wherever it's comfortable. Be a missionary in Hawaii. He said to the other person, come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Jesus is a savage. He's like, they're dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. I'll follow you, but first, let me get my 501k settled and my retirement settled. And I need 10 grand in my bank account before I start following you and following you wherever you want to go. But Jesus says, anyone who puts a hand to the plow then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. Following Jesus is free, but it will cost you everything. Cost you everything. And I want to say that God doesn't just want observers. <laughs> he wants disciples. He doesn't just want bystanders in his kingdom. He wants disciples that are willing to follow him. How many times do we make excuses to fully follow Jesus, to give Jesus our full yes? How many times do we make excuses like I'll wait till I'm older, I'll wait till I have more money, I'll wait until it's convenient, until I have a degree, till I go to seminary, until I get married, till I'm in the right location? How many times do we just make excuses? Nick Ripkin says it's simply a matter of obedience. If he is our Lord, then we will obey him. If we do not obey him, then he is not our Lord. If he is our Lord, then we will obey him. If we do not obey him, then he is not our Lord. We love come to me all who are weary and burdened. We love that verse. But Jesus says, if you love me, <laughs> you'll obey my commands. And guys, there's so much grace. I just want to release that. It's fresh. Let's breathe for a second. There's so much grace. God is so patient, and he's so kind, and he's so loving, and he sits with you in your pain and your mess. But there has to come a moment where we say, okay, Jesus, I will follow you no matter the cost. I've received the seven blessings, but it's now for me, it's now time for me to live out the eight. The key to fully following Jesus is being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's go to Galatians 3. We're almost done, guys. Galatians 3, 2 to 5. 
says this, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You receive the Spirit because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Next verse. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? Verse 5 says, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obeyed the law? Of course not. It's because you believed the message you heard about me. I want to give context. Stay with me. Paul is speaking to the church of Galatia. He said, you were a church that was started by the Holy Spirit, that God was working miracles among you, that God was moving among you, that you as a believer, every single one of us in the room, if you've received Jesus, you are born again by the Spirit of God, that we all start by the Spirit. And he says, along the journey, you start following and introducing the law again. But Jesus fulfilled the law. But for some reason, the church in Galatia, they started bringing the law back into the picture. Okay, I need to follow God based on my efforts. I need to do what I need to do to be right with God. And he's saying, no, 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 you started by the Spirit and so finished by the Spirit. That how many of us in the room say, man, I used to be radical. (laughs) I hear you, Andrew, you know, I've been there, done that, you know, I'm older now, my season has passed, you know, I I have kids now, you know, I, I don't know if I can be that radical anymore, you know, I went to that conference or that ministry school and I experienced that but you know this is a different season brother I've said that so many times I confess I have kids you know so I don't know if I can be radical anymore Paul saying if you started by the spirit continue by the spirit finish by the spirit That the power to live, I want you guys to hear this, the power to live the Christian life is associated with the Holy Spirit. Guys, the life Jesus calls us to, you're hearing this, you're like, man, this is like, this is a lot, this is intense. The reason that is, is because the life that Jesus calls us to is actually not just difficult, it's actually impossible. Oh. The lifestyle of Jesus is actually impossible without the Holy Spirit. That it's impossible to be holy, to love our enemies, to heal the sick, to forgive those who hurt us, to bring peace in chaos, to see the lost and broken saved. Guys, you were never designed to live for God on your own. Jesus knew that. That's why he sent his spirit. And I just want to say to you in the room, if you started by the spirit, continue by the spirit. If you feel like you've never started by the Spirit, today is time to start by the Spirit. The Lord actually told me this on the way over and I wrote it down. I was like, this is, this is a good little revy, a little heavy revy. He said, your capacity, what if your capacity isn't small, <laughs> but you're just not dependent enough on the Spirit? 
God, my capacity is too small. I've kids, I've got a wife, I've got my YouTube channel to run, right? I've got to do TikTok. God, my capacity is small. I have work. I work nine to five. God, you understand this. How many of us see that as an excuse? My capacity is too small. Which, hey, hear me out. I understand, all right? Kids are a lot. Take a lot out of you. But there's a point when you follow the Spirit, when you do only what the Spirit tells you to do, you will be living from a place of rest. I heard this person say one time, he said, if you don't have enough time for a Sabbath, you're doing too much work. Guys, your capacity isn't small. You're just trying to do too much by yourself. You're trying to do too much in your own efforts. You're trying to obey the law, so to speak. You're, you're trying to, to be close to God by working, and if I serve more, if, you know, if I'm loud enough, if, if you know, I say the right thing, then, then maybe I'll be radical. Jesus is saying, no, you just need to follow my spirit. And as you follow one step, and it leads you to another step, and it leads you to another step, and you look back and you see the impact you've made. You see, if you were to look back and say, man, that took a lot of capacity. No, you just followed the spirit. For a lot of us, we're trying to receive from God what only the Holy Spirit can give through our work and striving. That if the church in the book of Acts needed the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need the Holy Spirit in the church in America? Some of y'all need to get that. If the church in Acts needed the Spirit, so many of us, the, or theology, depending on how you grew up, right? We believe the Holy Spirit... It's like disappeared after Acts for whatever reason. It's floated away. It's like, bye, good luck. We need the Holy Spirit, guys. You need the Holy Spirit to parent. Goodness gracious. It's hard. <laughs> you need the Holy Spirit to have a healthy marriage. You need the Holy Spirit to lead people into worship. So you're hearing all this stuff and you're hearing this call to live radically for Jesus, to follow him. The only way you can do this is if you say, Holy Spirit, I need you to be the leader of my life. I want you guys to stand up. I'm gonna close. And I wanna read this last story. Any of you guys know about the Moravian revival? All right. The Moravian Revival started in 1727. This guy named Count Zinzendorf. Yeah, what's his name? In Germany, this really wealthy guy. He had a slave from Moravia enter his home and housing them. This guy was a Christian. And in Moravia at this time, there's a lot of persecution and people were refugees and they left Moravia. And he had this relationship with this, this slave. He's like, just breathe them in, let them live in, in my, my little village or whatever. So all these Moravians came to where he lived. What ended up happening, this is, this is real, you can look this up. They started a 24-hour prayer meeting that lasted 100 years. 
this, this village literally lasted, I think, 115 years. Like, all right, you're going to pray for two hours. You're going to pray for two hours. You're going to pray for two hours. It lasted over 100 years. And the things that they would encounter, the, the Holy Spirit would fall in the room, the, the power that would happen in the room. And what ended up happening <laughs> from this revival was the modern-day missions movement. The first Protestant missionaries came out of the Moravians. There are two young German missionaries who were from the Moravian sect which was a denomination that was eventually found in the 15th century. A former slave by the name of Anthony Ulrich stirred the Moravian church in Germany into action to reach other slaves who would never have a chance to hear the gospel. So these two Moravians, hear this, in their 20s, anyone in their 20s? In their 20s, heard of an island in the West Indies where an atheist British owner owned up to two to 3,000 slaves. Do you know what these guys did? They sold themselves into a lifetime of slavery to this British slave owner to be able to share the gospel to thousands of people who would never have a chance to hear it. They sold themselves for the price of a slave. And their act inspired a wave of Moravian missionaries that greatly impacted the world. This is so powerful. As the ship sailed away, The young men linked arms. They raised their hands and they shouted, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Right after they sold themselves to a lifetime of slavery, this is what they shouted. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May we live a life worthy of the death that Jesus paid. So when Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted, it's because they have broken out of the comfort of Christianity. And guys, what if the joy of obedience was enough of a reward? What if the joy of just saying yes to Jesus is enough of a reward? Now, all these eight blessings, Jesus says, blessed, here's your reward. Inherit the kingdom, inherit the world. You'll be comforted. All these blessings. But what if? culmination of our reward was the joy of simply saying yes to Jesus. Jesus, I give you my yes, no matter what I have to give up. God, if I have to shut down breakthrough right now, (laughs) I will do it. God, if I have to leave my job, God, if I have to prayer walk downtown Lynchburg for a year, God, I give you my yes. I don't know what you came in today hoping to get. This is it. I came back from this conference in California. I just was so stirred. I'm like, God, we're too comfortable. (laughs) Breakthrough Church, we're too comfortable. Guys, we're too comfortable. This is pressure, guys, but this is like, like a good, it's like a massage, right? Massaging the spirit, deep tissue. 
But I want you guys to like let this just hit your heart. Because we don't need more comfortable Christians. We need Christians that say, Jesus, I give you my full yes. So I just want to pray the worship of you guys can come up.